So, good morning, everybody. Um, I've been sitting at the back with Jason, and Jason asked me, so what are you speaking on this morning? So I sort of tried to be funny and said, oh, I'm doing a sermon on Brexit. So uh, he said, oh, that's good news. It'll have to be delayed two months. <laughs> um, so I'll go on to Plan B, and we'll look at 2 Peter chapter 3. If we can have the, if we can have the PowerPoint up, that would be great. Uh, today we're looking at the last chapter of this letter, and if you have a Bible, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, it's a short letter written from Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples. We know that he was writing this probably uh, around AD 60, and we know that Peter knew that his, his end of life was soon to come, because uh, at that time the, the Roman uh, emperor was, was actually basically killing off Christians because they didn't like them and uh, Peter was going to die a pretty unsavoury death hanging on a cross upside down and Peter knew that his death was probably not that far away. So he writes to this group of Christians um, who um, he's really wanting to encourage, both encourage and warn. And if we think back to, if you've been here for the last two sessions, on the first session when we looked at chapter 1, I've sort of tried to summarise a little bit about what we did in chapter 1 on this slide up here because we talked about the fact that Peter was encouraging people to look back at the fact that they had been, uh, they'd experienced the grace of Jesus, that means being treated as though, uh, not because of what we do, but because somebody loves us and maybe not as we deserve, um, and that we needed, he need, people needed to remember that but also to remember that the day of the Lord was coming. Jesus is coming back. And Peter wanted to really encourage people to not forget that because there was a bunch of people around at that time, whether we call them scoffers, that's a Bible translation, false prophets, people that were saying, oh, Jesus hasn't come back yet, he's probably likely never to. What are you going on about? And so Peter was trying to warn people in this letter um, that they shouldn't think like that. And we read, particularly in chapter 1, how Peter was saying, do you know what, if you're not aware, if you're not thinking about what you're doing, you're likely to become as Christians ineffective, unproductive, short-sighted and blind. And forgetting that Jesus has forgiven your sins uh, and, and that is the most important thing you need to remember. And so he encourages everyone to make effort to really be on their guard and to grow in the grace of Jesus. And then we went on to chapter 2, and chapter 2 was a bit of a race through because it was last week when we were having a shorter service and we were serving tea and coffee out the front for the runners. Um, and if you read chapter 2, it's pretty grim. Um, if you want to, uh, it's, it's about all of the things that, that God will do. And so in that second chapter, and don't, let's not forget that Peter didn't write it under chapters, he just wrote this as a letter. So he goes into his letter and talks about these false prophets who are secretly trying to destruct everything that Christians believe. They're trying to make them think, what you believe doesn't make sense. What you believe isn't happening. What you believe doesn't really matter. And we thought particularly that they're trying to do that with those that are unstable in their faith. Maybe because something else has happened in their life and their faith was beginning to wobble a bit. And so these false prophets almost... Um, targeted these people. And not only those people, they also tried to entice, Peter writes, the people that they're escaping from 
those who live in error. So Peter sort of gives us this picture that there are some people that have started to move away from a very different lifestyle to the lifestyle of following Jesus and it's those people that those um, false prophets are trying to target as well. And in chapter 2, we read that actually, do you know what? There's going to be a day of judgment. And on that day of judgment, all of us in this room will stand before Jesus and we'll, be, and we'll be asked about what we think about Jesus. And Jesus will know everything that we've done in our lives. And Peter in chapter 2 talks about the punishment of God on those that don't believe in him. And we also talk, but in that there's obviously some real hope because we talked about God being the rescuer. So let's go to this last chapter. This last chapter, um, as we saw in the beginning of verse 1, is a reminder. And right at the end of chapter also says, so you've been forewarned now, there is no reason why you don't know about the very things that I've been talking about. I've written, to the, uh, written them to you and I have been really, really clear. Really, really clear. So he, this was a reminder and almost a warning that people should know exactly, exactly what is going to happen. So I want to think about three simple things. What are we waiting for as Christians? When will it happen? And how should we wait? What are we waiting for? When will it happen? And how should we wait? So we know that these false prophets were very, very into telling people that Jesus wasn't going to come back again. Because when Jesus left, he says, I'll be back, I'm going to take, when I come back, I'm going to take you to a very special place. We call that heaven. And in that very special place, there will be a place especially for you, if you love me. And these people were saying, do you know what? This is AD 60. This is AD 66. Jesus is gone. It's been over 50, 60 years. He hasn't come back. He isn't coming back. Um, and actually what Peter tries to keep make Christians understand is, is that actually, do you know what we are waiting for? We are waiting for the return of Jesus. I remember not long after I was become a Christian, when I was about 11, we were going somewhere with our youth group and I always remember someone in the church telling us this sermon that when Jesus comes back again there will be a loud trumpet noise. And so we were in the back of this transit, probably before health and safety, none of us were wearing seatbelts or anything like that. And it's, I don't know whose tr- transit it was, but it's like a builder's transit. We were all sitting in the back. Um, and as, so as we couldn't see anything, there were no windows or anything. And as, we, as the driver was driving, suddenly he had to make a very, very, very quick emergency stop. So we all hurtled forward and hit each other. And at the same time, obviously the reason why he stopped was because there was another car there. And that car beats their horn really, really loudly. And so as an 11-year-old, I suddenly panicked. Jesus is coming back! Um, and then I suddenly thought about all the things that I'd been doing wrong and sort of quickly said, dear God, dear God, please forgive me, please forgive me, please forgive me, because I was a bit worried that he opened the transit door and there was I. Um, and he said, no, I know what you mean. Um, but Peter wants people to be encouraged to know that Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. So that's what we're waiting for, for the return um, of Jesus. Now, here's a bit of key stage three. Um, science homework. I want you to read this bit, or I'll read it, because we're going to 
sense is a substance that cannot be broken down into any other substance. There are about a hundred elements, each with its own type of atom. Everything in the universe contains the atoms of at least so everything in the universe contains the atoms of at least one or more elements. What do we read in Peter? The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. It's amazing, isn't it, that Peter talks about the total destruction of what we see around us on this day of judgment, on this day of the Lord. And you'll see that he refers to the day of God. It's the day of the Lord, the day of God, in verse 12 as well. As you look forward to the day of God, and speed it's coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will make melt in the heat. Now, I don't for one minute pretend to understand that, but it seems pretty powerful stuff, doesn't it? And if you go back into the Old Testament, that's what they often used to talk about, the day of the Lord. It's the day when Jesus finally judges everything that's happened in earth and everybody that's here now and before. And uh, you can see in Isaiah 13, chapter 13, verse 9, it says, See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day, with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. Now, a lot of this is really hard to understand. But it's very, very clear. It's very, very clear that there will be a time when Jesus returns and things are destroyed and it's the day that we stand in front of him to be judged. And there will be some... Uh, and if this is a... If you're into this, it's quite interesting when you start with verse 10. It's really pivotal. And I put verse 10 there, lots of different translations, because we know that the Bible wasn't written in English, it's been translated, and it's been translated from lots and lots of different uh, manuscripts. Uh, in the NIV, we talk about the, the world will be laid, in the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. If you go back to the King James Version, which lots of um, you folks may have been brought up on, it says the earth and also the, the works that are therein shall be burned up and some other versions that do something similar in terms of the NIV. Now, for some people out there, this is a big thing. It's about whether or not God comes to destroy the whole earth and wipes it out completely, which is the burned up bit, or whether he wipes out some of the elements but renews the earth. And it's not so that we need to be minded of too much, but for people like Tom Wright, who I know lots of people will read, he feels that it's about more about renewal. God destroys the bad and renews what is here. For others, more conservative evangelicals, they would take that literal burning up everything. Everything goes and something new comes along. What we do know, for sure, whether it's that way or the other way, that we'll end up with a new heaven and a new earth. I don't think it would be like that picture up there 
Um, I googled new heaven and new earth and someone thinks that the new heaven and new earth look like that. Um, a very nice garden uh, with a couple of angels standing at the top sort of looking over it. I don't know what heaven will be like. I think it will be massive. I think it will be wonderful. It will be great. But Peter reminds us, he doesn't give us a big description of heaven other than he says heaven will be where righteousness dwells. So what I do know is that there won't be any gun crime in heaven. There won't be any horribleness. There won't be anything that's, that is unkind. There won't be anything that frightens us. Because actually, in heaven, it will be a place that is full of righteousness. That means everything is just how it should be. It's right. It's, it's with God. There is nothing. There is nothing there that is bad. So, that's what we're waiting for, that new heaven and earth. Something that's very, very, very special. We're waiting for Jesus to come back and we're waiting for that new heaven and earth. So, when will it happen? When will it happen? I suppose we've all heard about people who've written about Jesus will return in 2015 and he's never, he hasn't done. And things like that. Um, I've got a picture of a transit van up there because... Um, Trace um, had six brothers one of them has passed away but two, two of the brothers are twins and they're not very high they're not very well built but I, would ne- I never argued with them because they were both black belts in some karate or something and um, they would all, as they were twins they always wanted to compete about who was the hardest so they would get pieces of wood and smash it over their heads and then the next one would get a bigger piece of wood and smash it over the heads so they were well hard, I think is the, is the, uh, the phrase. And uh, they were built, they were very strange, they are a very strange pair. I remember once staying in Tracy's house and when I was asleep they put a wrap on my head. Um, so they're an interesting pair. And they were both builders. And, um, and they had a van and they kept all their tools in there. Okay? And it was, Trace lived in quite a tough part of Nottingham and... and on two nights running, their van had been broken into and tools had been st- stolen. Now, when you're a builder, that's your lifeline, isn't it, your tools? So, um, Shaq and Johnny, if they're known, um, decided, well, we're not going to let this happen again. So, the next night, they sat in the back of the van, dressed up in their karate stuff, ready to pounce on, out and nearly kill the person who thought they were going to open the van. Um, and it was late at night, very late at night, when one of Tracy's other brothers, who'd been out drinking, and um, decided to come home. He, know, he knew that the van had been broken into them two nights before, and he saw the van, he thought, well, what I'll do is I'll just check that they've shut all the doors. So at the back of the van, just to check that the door was open, only to find the back doors wide open, out come two, two Tracy's brothers, just about to knock him senseless when they realised it was his brother. Now, why do I say all of that? Because, do you know what? Um, it's really interesting. Because whenever I read that verse that Peter writes, um, which is, bear in mind, sorry, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So it means unexpected. You don't know when it's going to happen. I always just thought that that just means, okay, well, we, won't, we don't and we don't know exactly when Jesus is coming. But I didn't think about it in the terms of, well, how does that make me wait for Jesus? 
And when you read all of the verses that are around that particular verse in this letter, I think what Peter is almost encouraging us to do is to sit and almost be ready for it. Like Shaq and Johnny were in the back of that van. They were sitting there waiting because they really expected that person again that night. That's what Peter's encouraging us to do, to be, wake up in the morning and think, actually, to live a life that thinks, actually, do you know what? Jesus could come today. He could come before I finish this sermon. And that might please everybody. But actually, how are we waiting? So I've seen that verse in a very, that sort of, those words in a very different way as I've been thinking about this. And Peter also encourages people to understand that you'll never get an exact date and a time And one of the reasons is, you know, each day is like a thousand years, a thousand years to God. So actually, our sense of time is not God's at all. It's a very, very different thing. So, when will it happen? We don't know. We don't know. But it will happen in an an unexpected time. And Peter's encouraging us throughout this letter to actually um, think how do we wait? So if we know that we're waiting for the return of Jesus, we're waiting then for the judgment and the new heaven and earth, how do we wait for that? What do we do while we're waiting? So Peter tells the people that he's writing to that actually you've got to be ready. You've got to be ready for it. And that's why he talks about making every effort, being on your guard, Grow in the, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Don't stay static as Christians. Don't just think that actually, okay, I'm a Christian, Jesus will return one day, but you know what? Um, Baptist is on television, not Sunday night, so I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And it becomes almost sort of uh, not quite as important. Um, I'm sure they'll all die in the end or something of Baptist, but never mind. Um, that's what Peter's trying to get at. He's saying, to you, he's saying to you and he's saying to us, God's saying to us through reading this letter that we mustn't just stay static. We've got to make every effort, be on our guard and keep growing as Christians. Now, it was Stafford Marathon last week. Apparently, I, I looked this up, William Draper was the first person to cross the line and doing it in one hour, 11 minutes and 43. That's 13 13 miles, isn't it? And half marathon. That's pretty good. Frank Evans, this is all on the Googling, uh, took three hours and 28 minutes and four seconds. Now, before you all think, oh, Frank, you must have been pretty slow, Frank was in the over 70s category. So that's pretty impressive, isn't it? All you over 70s. Could you run 13 miles? I couldn't run it in, in my very young age um, and I just hope I just hope there were some crowds there to cheer Frank across the line at 3 hours and 28 minutes and Peter uses this phrase in his letter a couple of times which is really interesting he said he is that's God is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish for everyone to come to repentance. And in the latter part of this chapter, near the end of the, uh, of the letter, he says, 
bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. And it almost feels a bit like that what Peter is saying is, actually, do you know what? God will keep waiting and waiting and waiting. He'll be really patient because he wants everybody, he wants everybody to know Jesus. Now, there will come a time when his patience will run out. But what a loving Father, what a loving God, who will patiently wait for the Frank Evans of this world to cross the line. Now, that doesn't mean to say that we think that it will just never, never happen, because it will happen. And we mustn't be lured into thinking, well, we've got time. But for some reason... God will be patient. So how would we sum up how would we sum up chapter three? Well, I think what Peter's saying is that we're waiting for the day of the Lord. And that day of the Lord will be judgment, and then a new heaven and a new earth. And while we are waiting, while we are waiting, we should be we should be making every effort and being on our guard. I read in a newspaper this week, apparently, um, that the UK's biggest supplier of toilet and kitchen roll has been stockpiling toilet rolls in case of a no-Brexit deal. Um, I thought the people at work were already stockpiling tea, sorts of daft things. Um, the irony of this is that the company that's the largest supplier of toilet rolls in this country is German, um, which is a bit obvious, isn't it, really? because there are 3.5 million um, toilet rolls and and kitchen towel rolls being stockpiled because of a no-deal, potential no-deal Brexit. And it made me think that actually what what we're waiting for defines how we wait, doesn't it? So if I'm waiting for a bus, I'm waiting for a bus at a certain time. If I'm waiting to grow old and wise, that's not so quick, is it? Um, Especially the wise bit. If I'm waiting for Trace to do everything right, I've got a long wait. So, actually, my behaviour changes on the reason why I'm waiting. And so I think we need to ask ourselves a question this morning about what we're really waiting for. Because if if you are a Christian, if you believe in Jesus, died on the cross for you, uh, then actually you will wait in a different way. If you're not a Christian, if you don't believe in all of that stuff, it won't matter for you. Just carry on. But what I'm saying is, if if you're not a Christian, and if you don't believe in Jesus and all that stuff, do you know what? You're going to miss out big time on the new heaven and earth. So I want you to imagine being in the back of that transit van. How are you waiting? Are you waiting for Jesus to come like a thief in the night unexpectedly? And if you are, what are you doing? Are you making every effort to be found? That's what Peter said to him. Make every effort not not to lose God, not to take your eyes off the bull, not to not to stop growing as a Christian, because actually Jesus will return. And when he returns, you want to be seen to be making every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. 
Are you working hard at that? And then there's a, a phrase in there that we, we skipped over, but it's really, really important. Um, Peter says in 3.12, he says, You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. And speed its coming. What does that mean? Do we, can we influence when Jesus comes? Is what we do going to make a difference? Peter was thinking, actually, you know what? Um, it's all to do with that patient stuff. It, we know that God wants everybody uh, in heaven if they, if they just accept his forgiveness and believe in Jesus. And there's a verse in Matthew that says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then... actually you know until everybody's heard the gospel it will only be then that Jesus comes it doesn't mean to say that everyone will respond to it in the way that um, uh, you do if you want to accept Jesus but some people feel that you know when everybody's had that chance I'm, I'm not sure it's as simple as that but you know what if, if that's the way that we're waiting because we think that actually do you know what if we can go out there and if we can, with the power of the Holy Spirit, convince people to, to give their lives to Jesus, then that will be one more notched up. And it will be perhaps that bit closer to Jesus coming back. And finally, um, Peter says right at the beginning of this letter that he wants to write to these folks to remind them, to remind them about all of these things. And, you know, I hope that we all take this letter as a reminder to ourselves as well. Um, there was a lovely verse in that pretty grim chapter of chapter 2 that we looked at last week. It says, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. And we talked about that song, The Rescuer. You know, if you are trying to understand Jesus then just ask him to help you because he will rescue you from the consequences of the judgment day when if you don't know him as your own personal saviour it's not good news let's pray shall we dear heavenly father we thank you uh, for this letter that Peter wrote. And we thank you for the reminders that we are going to see the return of Jesus one day. We don't know when and we don't really know how it will all happen. But we know that he will come back. And we know that the Bible says for those people that have already passed away, we will all be risen and we will see Jesus and for those that love him for those that realise that Jesus died on the cross for them because he loves them so much and he wants to forgive them for all the things that they and I do wrong for those of us that can call ourselves Christians we know that there will be a new heaven and a new earth that we'll be able to enjoy. 
But we pray, Lord, that you would help us not to take that for granted. We pray that while we are waiting for that, we pray that you would help us to wait being expecting it to happen. And because it's, we're waiting, expecting it to happen, Lord, we pray that you would encourage us to go around and share that good news about Jesus. Because we know that you're a patient God and you'll, you'll wait. You'll wait so long because there's a time when you will come back. But we, we want to make good use of your patience with us. And Lord, I pray especially for those that are here this morning that don't know the sense of peace and comfort that comes from knowing you as somebody that, who is alive and real. We've read that you can be our rescuer from the things that get in the way of us knowing you. Dear Lord Jesus, break through. Break through sometimes the messiness of our lives, the uncertainty of our lives. And draw us closer to you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.